Hello, welcome to Graphic Policy Radio, where we have a special Valentine's Day episode for you. Uh, we'll be joined with the, some awesome folks in the, who are working on a new comic that just launched in the beginning of February called Twisted Romance. Each issue of this month-long romance event features 48 pages of content, a comic story, backup comic, and a prose story, and we'll, they include stories about the commoditization of breakups, shy girls in love, wildly famous men, forbidden love of an intergalactic dreadnought, the deceptive lure of childhood is seen by a princess who's afraid to grow up, also disco and murder and sex, and it's a whole lot of fun. It's put out by Image Comics. The uh, first issue came out last week, and the second one is out tomorrow. It's Twisted Romance. And joining us on the show today is writer Alex DeCampi, as well as some of the artists from the crew who made this comic, Alejandra Gutierrez, Katie Skelly, and Trungles are all joining us on the show today. So uh, thank you guys so much. You might know some of these names from uh, other shows and other, sorry, other work that they've done before. Alex has been on the show before to talk about her series Mayday, Grindhouse, No Mercy, and, of course, Archie versus the Predator. Alejandra is one of the awesome artists who contributed to um, Love is Love Anthology, including my favorite story in it. Katie Skelly is an award-winning cartoonist whose work includes My Pretty Vampire, Nurse Nurse, Arpereji Margarine, and Agent 8. And Trungles, uh, a.k.a. Tron the Negoyan, is a comic book artist and illustrator whose work includes Adventure Time, Marshallese Spectacular, and the upcoming highly adult coloring book, Fawns in Florida. Uh, and we also saw his work in the Fresh Romance Anthology. Um, he did the story Beauties. So welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. Yay. Um, so I, I wanted to sort of start with finding out a little bit about how the project came to be. And uh, I know this series was first announced back Hi, in November. Hi, thanks for having Alex. us. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Pierre, well, yay. Excellent. Yay. Um, so, Alex, do you want to give us a backstory on how, on how, the, uh, on how the series came to be? Well, um, I was up in Maine for a month, um, and I turned off the Internet and – I, when I turn off the internet and try to chill out, I just basically end up having lots of crazy ideas. Um, I decided, <laughs> you know, I'm mostly known for doing very, like, hardcore thriller work. And the thing about doing a thing is after a while you decide you don't want to do the thing for a little bit. You want to do something else because variety is fun. Um, and I've also actually been reading a lot of fanfic because, um, frankly, it's better than most of the comics. Um, and... Um, I really decided I wanted to do a romance book. And this kind of even dates to earlier that, like, Derek Robertson, who's one of the, the greatest people in comics and just a 100% solid, wonderful human being, um, and I had this drunken conversation at San Diego Comic Con one lunchtime where we, like, because we really want to do something together, but our schedules, like, never quite match up. Um, and he's like, Alex, I really want to do a romance comic with you because nobody will expect it and we'll do it really well. And I'm like, yes, we must do this thing. Um, so that was in the back of my mind as well. And so when I got back from Maine, um, I sent like this one, like I talked to a couple of people. Um, <coughs> I think I talked to Trung, Trung because we'd looked at doing a project together previously, um, but it, it wasn't a good fit. Um, uh, uh, and I talked to Katie. Um, and so I just sent this one, like, literal one-sentence email to Eric Stevenson in the beginning of August going, hey, I want to do a romance, like a, a, a six-issue um, romance comic where each of the issues are standalone and with different artists, and these are some of my friends who are interested in doing it. And he emails back fairly quickly um, and says, <coughs> well, we're not sure about doing it 
as a monthly because anthologies sometimes don't do that well in the direct market. But what if we do it as a weekly event in February and do four issues? And I kind of do the mental math, and it's like mid-August at this point. And solicits for February have to be into image cover design, completely done, and like an actual clue what you're going to put in the comic by mid-October. So I have like two months to pull this shit together. Um, and I kind of sound out some people um, and and figure out who can do it and whether they're willing to do it, you know, for back end only for, you know, for, on a fairly tight deadline. And I said I, I would get everybody this script by like September 15th. So they'd have a month to do the cover and then the interiors would be due, the tw- like the 28 page of my story interiors would be due um, December 1st, which was, you know, actually, a month, actually about a month before they were really needed, but I find this tactic works well because then nobody panics. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have, I have a plague. Um, <laughs> and so I, I kind of like circled back among my friends and, and collaborators. And they were like, yeah, sure. Like, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Nobody panics. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have, I have a plague. Um, everyone, everyone. I, I think I'm hearing the ghost of somebody. Somebody might have the audio of the podcast playing in the background right now. Oh, okay. if you have um, okay, we got it. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Continue. Cool. Problem solved. Um, I I sound like a boy with the plague. It's it's funny. Um, anyway, so I circle back around my collaborators, and they're like, "Yeah, sure, let's go for it." And so I say, "Eric, okay, fine, we'll do it." And then commence like this week. Well, like there's like three weeks of mad panic in my life, tying down the collaborators for the for my stories, for my 28 page lead stories, and figuring out what they wanted to draw. Because, like, my first question to everybody was, like, you know, my goal in this, I've published a lot of comics, okay? Like, I have done many comics, um, gotten to do exactly what I want in them, and that's great. Um, But with these, like, my real goal, because I was working with people with very, very specific sequential styles and very specific tastes, was, like, I wanted to become invisible in their style. I wanted to do something that, you know, not necessarily would look like they'd, you know, I never managed to, to write a comic that they could have written or would have written, but I wanted to come pretty close and also, you know, make it easy and fun for them to draw because it would fit in naturally with, with their own personal style and not be an uphill struggle. So I did that. Um, I got in the backup artists who were people that I just really loved and wanted to showcase and, you know, people I've adored for years like Sarah Horrock, um, Meredith McLaren, um, Sarah Winifred Searle, uh, Margaret Trout, who, who publishes under the name Egypt Ernash, um, and then Margaret Peggy was like, why don't you make it a flip book? Because um, you know, I put in a backup story just because everyone loves backup stories. Like, I don't know anyone who doesn't like a backup story. If you don't like backup stories, get off my planet. Um, <laughs> and Margaret was like, let's do a flip book. And I'm like, that's a great idea. But then you get to this problem of, like, what do you do in the middle when, like, the end of one story, like, you finish one story and you end up spoiling the end of the other story because you end up next to it. So... Then I went back and just and talked to some friends, some friends who wrote fanfic, some friends who who are just good prose writers, um, and said, "Would you do a, a pro like an eight page prose story for me, a five thousand word prose story?" So we get, then added a prose story, and I found myself out with these like four weekly forty eight page comics that I had to put together and like do the lettering and the design for and the pre press and also write four twenty eight page scripts in ten days for four wildly different artists. And I'm still here and I survived and I only have a little bit more gray hair. Mostly because everyone I collaborated <laughs> with is really, really, really awesome and got their stuff done on time and was super professional. Um, so uh, the, the, the 
fact that this thing um, is of really high quality and 100% on time is, is not due to me at all. It's due to all the people I'm working with, and they're great. Oh, wow. And thank you for not yeah, giving me heart attacks, guys. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that got me so excited about this series was when I looked at the list of artists and contributors in general, it was like a who's who of people who are doing really interesting indie work that you would never confuse with anybody else's indie work. You know what I mean? Um, like if you're looking at a page by Trungles or by Katie, you know, by, by Alejandra, like, you know, this is their work, you know, with Sarah Horrocks, you know, yeah. this is her, you know, this is her comics. It's like really distinctive voices in there all in one place. So, um, so that was, yeah. Definitely I'd like to say it's because I'm like some great curator or anything like that, but I just messaged all my friends. Sorry. You've got cool friends then. <laughs> so, you know, I definitely also like, certainly for the artists who are on the call now, I mean, all of you guys are folks who've done work that deals with love or sex or topics along those lines in your, in your own comics. And, um, I, as well as for this, obviously. And I don't know if somebody wants to sort of start off by talking a little bit about like what attracts you to that subject matter um, in your work and in this topic as well. Um, I will start calling on people. I know there's like a lot of people on this call. So um, Katie, do you want to talk about a little bit about how that topic or theme plays into your own interests? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I mean, I the the comics that I really like to read are like um, sort of European sleazy comics or more like sleazy manga from like 70s and 80s. Um, and so those kind of stories are like what I have in my mental like reference library when I go to draw any comic. So it's always been a big part of my my sort of like comics vocabulary is to just be able to like whip out a sex scene or a love scene whenever I want to. Um, and so that just kind of became like the whole of what I did after a few years, which I think has worked out pretty well. Um, but I, yeah, I, I like those moments of like within, you know, a romance comic, I like the melodrama of it. I like the pacing. I like how every sort of sensation is so like, heightened and so overwrought and I think you can get some really insane surreal imagery out of just trying to convey those emotions in panel form like it's it's really really difficult um and so you know when it came to working on this story it was just like such a no-brainer to say yes to because I knew Alex was going to be able to pull those moments out and give you something really, really juicy to work with. So, yeah, it, it felt like um, it felt very much like something that was within my wheelhouse and within my sort of visual vocabulary, but it was still such a challenge because sometimes the hardest thing to do is something that feels like it's the perfect fit because you just keep like obsessing over it and obsessing over it and wanting it to be as perfect as you have it in your mind. Um, so I definitely got like, more into exploring that imagery in ways that I didn't think I was going to. And so, yeah, this project was great. It was just like, it was everything that I wanted it to be. I'm so happy with it. Now, the issue that you worked on is one of the, is one of the ones that's already out now. Um, I don't want to mm-hmm. give away like too, too much, but I did say in my tweet, so it has been slightly put out there by me, that it might have something to do with Studio 54. I wanted to sort of see, you know, you've done a lot of sort of retro 60s and 70s 
specific references in your own comics. And um, I don't know, like, did, did you and Alex develop this sort of setting together? Um, and, I, and I know this is sort of featuring a character that Alex has sort of put in a larger story context in her own work as well, a recurring character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, when we first started getting together to talk about the comic, it was like, you know, we just met up and I gave her a copy of My Pretty Vampire. And I was like, here's kind of what I'm used to working in. And here's what I'm interested in. And, you know, we we kind of like started from a time period, I feel like, and it got teased out from there, which was really cool. Um, But yeah, I mean, Alex, you can definitely probably speak to that a little bit more articulate, articulately than me. Well, I mean, we just, like, got together, had drinks, and started throwing references at each other, um, which is the best way to make a comic. Um, and Katie was like, well, I want to set it in this particular time period. And I'm like, oh, oh, I know these great disco photographs. Let me send them to you um, from that exact era, and we'll make it kind of about a little bit about Studio, uh, uh, sort of a, a whitewashed version of Studio 54, because we don't, didn't want to say it was Studio 54. Um, mm-hmm. And do you mind if I use this character I've developed elsewhere? And then Katie did all these amazing things when she was actually drawing it. There's a there's a sequence where it goes from this really like jaw dropping, full full chromatic color to black and white with spot red, and it is like my favorite part of the entire comic, aside from the bit where like he lights his cigarette off the burning corpse of his ex girlfriend. <laughs> that's, that's that's also a good part. <laughs> it is indeed. And I might just observe that there is a character who may or may not have my name with my spelling. It's on. I don't want to. Uh... Yep. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes, I, you know, I, I I work on the Milan Kundera uh, 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 philosophy of like my 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 stories are my own and my friends' unrealized possibilities. So sometimes characters get named after people I know. Um, well, it was so I'm pretty like, oh, that's a pretty cool. name. I'll use that. You know. Um, <laughs> pretty freaking cool. Um, yeah, I uh, I think it's my first unofficial appearance in in a work of published <laughs> fiction, perhaps. Um, that's really awesome. Um, now, uh, the next issue out has the lead story is done as is, is art by Alejandra. Um, and yes, and like it, the books are very... totally different. Like one is like very issue one is like very tough um, and and supernatural and full of murder. And issue two is like soft and brown and clear and happy. <laughs> this is very true. So everyone who's um, like these books are really twisted are going to get to two where it's like really fluffy. Um, and they're going to be like, what's happening? I have whiplash. And I'm like, I don't care. You know, like this is, this is part of it. This is part of the fun. And it is a very varied series. You know, no one, no one needs four mm-hmm. murder stories for me. <laughs> but it's like, not just like fluffy though. It's like really emotionally relatable. You know, I feel like the characterization of the main character in the other story and the way she talks and thinks about her life and relates to the other characters, I thought was like, yep, I believe this person absolutely is real. Um, yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's the goal. Yeah. Like, you, you can be fluffy, but you're also trying for, like, a real emotional reaction. Um, so this one is set story, in fashion I, I world. I can't, yeah, I can't talk about exactly what the story is based on. And all the characters in it are completely fictional. Like, they are, they are not aliases of real people at all. But, like, the story was brought about by two incidents, one of which... I actually witnessed, I was like sort of a part of, um, and another, which the woman involved told me drunkenly, right? <laughs> um, which is really interesting. 
um, and I'm banging my forehead on on the bar, going, "I can't believe you did that. Why did you do that? That was a very dumb thing to do." Like I actually had a bruise on my forehead the next day, so I was I was like head <laughs> so hard. And she's telling me the story, <laughs> but oh, wow. it gave me like it was more like I like I took a feeling from it, and then I built that feeling into a story, and the feeling was like the awkwardness of people around these actors. Um, because I've mm-hmm. seen like I've seen some really weird shit go down. It's like that's wow, your lives must be really strange. Um, and then the setting of that is like sort of rooted in sort of a like a, I mean, it, there, there's fashion models in it, and there's a lot of fashion stuff. And I know that's an interest that Alejandra and Alex share. Um, yes, so well, I, like I knew I could hear, like give but, Alejandra yeah. that world, and she could completely run with it. You know? Yeah, totally. Because like some artists, you give them the fashion world, and it's like no. No, please stop. <laughs> I've seen so much. I've seen so many mistakes in that area in comics because, like, it's called by the theme, and then the artist who's assigned to it just doesn't actually care enough about fashion to do the freaking homework. But I mean, most of it just take it from it like a J.C. Penny catalog. That's what I feel yes. like. Yes. 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 Like you see the outfits that they put supposedly high fashion characters like you know, like Janet Von Dyne or like Emma and you're like, there's, there's no way. I, I don't even know people who don't work in fashion who dress like that badly, you know. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so Alejandra, yeah, let's talk to me about how you came up with some of the looks for the characters in, that, in, your, in your story. Um, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't kind of use much reference except for maybe the cover, which was based of like a, a Versace ad from the 90s. Um, but other than that, it was just sort of being like trying to pull from things that I've seen recently in more street wear. Cause I mean, the, mm-hmm. it's rooted in the fact that the, the story is set in the fashion world, but it's not set on a runway where I'm like, I'm going to draw all of these like hot couture, like amazing, like gowns that like nobody can actually wear. So I had to like kind of <laughs> make it believable of somebody who's like in the fashion world but she's just, you know, day-to-day kind of ready-to-wear stuff. Um, and I was just kind of thinking, like, what's cool now? <laughs> and try to figure out from there, you know, what somebody might actually wear in different situations. And it was so, so important to me that, like, Twinkle, the, the, the main female lead in, in the book, like, be cute because, you know, we made her curvy. She's, like, a size sort of 14, 16, so she's not, like, you know, really mm-hmm. that, but she's curvier than, than the fashion normal. And I know so many girls who are that weight and who dress amazingly and they're never shown. Like that, like curvy gals dressing well is something that you never see in comics. And like, just look around you. Like, like, they, yeah. like, they, like there are a lot of great fashionable girls who are, who are plus size. Um, so yeah. like, I, it was, I just wanted her, I just wanted her to be super cute and fashionable and like relatable in terms of like friends of mine who are that size and who like bring it. Um, so that, that just made me really happy. Yeah, that definitely came across and I, I don't want to like spoil anything, but definitely like the, the way that interacts with the world around her is like captured in the story. And that definitely mattered too, that like, that was part of the story as well. Um, yeah, I thought like, I think it's, it's not about like, like the story isn't about her weight in any way. She's just like, this is her. And, but you know, people do comment on it and there are reactions to it like that are minor elements and she like and she does occasionally have some self-doubt related to her size 
but it's not like like I was 100% not wanting to make it a weight story or a transformation story because I think that that kind of story is really toxic. Um, mm-hmm. Like no one needs to like you got to love yourself. Like you know you're not going to love yourself more if you're thinner or fatter or like have, have new clothes. Like that's not going to help. Well, as someone who is not that far from her size, I think you thread the needle in that balance very very well. So. Bravo for me. And then the colors on this. Did you did you do the colors, Alejandro? Yes. Um, I was. I actually was looking a lot at Skelly's art um, and a lot of the a book that I think she might be obsessed with. Uh, that's called The Adventures of Joe Dell. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Dell. Right Joe Dell. Yeah. All obsessed with um, Joe Dell. And I was just really like, I wanted to make sure that I didn't want to make it like an over detailed kind of thing because that's not really how I work anyways so I was just trying to make sure that the colors worked in balance with the line work and kind of made it stand out and carry a story through the color Um, and just working with really flat colors um, to make everything kind of I didn't want to overwork anything I wanted to make it as simple as possible so that the the storytelling was not as clear as possible but it, it so that the, the illustration carried the storytelling more than anything. You know, it also, like, just had a very different, like, aesthetic look in terms of the palette, just being so different from the palette from any of the stories in the first comics as well. Yeah, I think all the color was awesome in both of these issues. Oh, thank you. So I don't actually have any sort of sneak peek of anything coming from the upcoming issue four, which is where Trungles was already. You should have told me. I could have sent you a PDF. Oh, sure. Okay. I I, uh, do not think I could get the DL, but of course it should have occurred to me. Well, this means I will be incapable of spoiling it. I can say certainly from looking at the cover is that we have a princess and we have a dragon of some sort. And uh, I'd love to hear you guys put that story together. I know fairy tales are like a huge theme for, for Chan's work. So, Well, Chan was like, I like to draw princesses, and I'm like, I can do that. Um, and so I, um, I was trying to think of an interesting story to do with a princess, and I decided to write this great allegory about abusive relationships, something which I have I have been in, um, and um, about, and and it kind of ends up being this weird kind of like fairy tale slash Miyazaki film about this girl who makes a bunch of poor choices in the beginning, but also you know, ends up with somebody who treats her like they abs- she absolutely should not be treated. Um, but she, you know, but in a way it's like, even though it's this, this beautiful, like sort of fantasy fairy tale um, with this little princess and these amazing gowns and, and, and stuff, um, like the actual tracking of the thought process of abusive relationships is, is it's very real in there. Um, so even though it's, it's, it's an allegory, but, there's a lot of emotional, hopefully people will find a lot of emotional truth in there. Um, I certainly tried to put it in there. Um, but but Trung did an absolutely amazing job of illustrating it. And I was I was trying to work really hard to script to his strengths. And I don't know how much I achieved that and how much he was sitting there swearing at me at the drawing table. Um, one <laughs> never knows, one never should know. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, like people are always free to change my script. Like that's, people like, they get free full scripts for me because I think it's irresponsible not to do anything less than that. But then they also get a big, like, warning note at the top going, like, change everything. I let her my own stuff. It's fine. 
Like, if you can think of a better way to do it or if the page sucks as written, please, please fix it. So, um, but yeah, then John, John can talk more about the story um, and, and the way he brought it to life. Yeah, the process was very, very smooth. Um, I think she always did a really, really excellent job of writing to my taste. I was really, really, like, sh- I mean, I'm not shocked because Alex was a really flexible writer, but I was honestly really touched that um, when I read the story and I was like, wow, this is absolutely something I want to draw. This is a story for me. Um, so I had a lot of fun with um, with drawing everything in it, and um, I just got an opportunity to really play around with the way that um, that the images were composed, that the way that the panels were composed. Um, I'm usually kind of a prescriptivist. When I get a script from someone, I try to get it pretty exact. So when Alex told me, like, hey, you have a little bit more freedom, <laughs> I almost Ooh. didn't know what to do with myself. And then um, I, after the first couple of pages, I got totally comfortable with, okay, I'm just going to wing this. We're going to, we're going to be fine. I know what the narrative process needs to look like, um, as far as the trajectory of the images go. Um, and I kind of just went with it. I had a lot of fun. Awesome. Awesome. I, I feel like most of the work I've seen from you also has been sort of like your own, uh, your own like sort of solo, solo art and like then the, uh, amazing tarot deck of everyone's dreams. <laughs> uh, yeah, I tend to work by myself um, just because I don't know that there are a lot of really appropriate avenues for me to make comic books that look like the work that I've been making for myself. Um, so I very rarely collaborate with other people, um, and I tend to like to kind of follow my own narrative rhythm when I'm making narrative work. So this is sort of an unusual project. Like I've done, I've collaborated one other time on a kind of similar story for Fresh Romance and it was a Beauty and the Beast story. So it has a very different take on like examining. I mean, it explored similar themes and examined toxic relationships and what love and um, ideals of ownership and possessiveness looked like. And so this was a really great kind of introspective take on that narrative. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your artistic influences in general. Sure, yeah. I um, <laughs> I hold a lot of Pinterest boards, I guess. Um, and I've been looking at a lot of sort of Edwardian and Victorian fashion for this particular comic. And I've taken a lot of liberties with the fabrics and with the patterns. Um, but I stuck pretty closely with the silhouettes. And I tend to think of... Um, I tend to think of my comic work in a lot of the same ways that I read about fairy tales. There's a quality about fairy tales called flatness where it lends itself to allegory really well because a lot of the characters tend not to have an internal psychology that's evident on the page. They're just archetypes that sort of proceed through a narrative. And so there's a lot of room for a consumer, a viewer, a reader to insert themselves into the story. And so that's something that's sort of um, enriching about the way that the stories can be told. And I work in a way that's sort of uh, visually married to that idea. I think about things in terms of like stagecraft, and it's not very cinematic, it's very theatrical. Things are sort of flat. You look forward into the panel and you get like a proscenium, and then you get the foreground, and then you get the figures, and then you get the background. So it's, it's all very... Um, uh, it's easy to read in that it's layered in a way that makes sense to you if you're just to look straight forward at it. There are no visual tricks. And I I tend to like to make images that 
um, don't really pretend to be anything other than ink on paper. So, um, and so this story was kind of fun to go through and work with that mentality. Um, it worked out pretty smoothly that way. Uh, most of the most of the work that I look at are children's books um, from the turn of the century. So I look at a lot of Kai Nielsen and Arthur Rackham and Rose O'Neill and Harry Clark. So not a whole lot of like comics people, lots of like fairy tale illustrators from the late 1800s and early 1900s. Yeah, I definitely recognize that in your art, having read some of those books doing my own fairy tale study stuff when I was younger. I, but I actually do think one of the one of the common themes between these three different artists on the show who are all like really different styles from each other is that you guys all care about drawing clothing that is in character and interesting to look at. <laughs> yeah. Well, also they're so, all writers. They're all writers in their own right, and I think that's something really yes. important to mention. Everybody I collaborate with in the in the, in the front stories can like they don't need me. Like they can do it themselves <laughs> really well, and they have done it really. The, like well by themselves so and I really like collaborating with writer artists because um like a lot of writers are intimidated to do it but like if you're going to you know working with somebody who's done the work of like you know thinking up their own characters and and doing the design for them and 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 and, like I, I feel like they have a much better understanding of the process um and they're like why wouldn't you work with the smart people in the room? Like, it's okay if the people I work with are smarter than me and better than me. It's like the thing I do. Like, that's that's actually good. Um, and one last thing I want to mention while I'm on it is one of the reasons I was able to collaborate with all these wonderful people was we were talking about single, like, standalone 28-page one-and-done stories. Like, I don't think Katie or Alejandro or, or Trung would have had time to do, like, a four-issue miniseries with me. Um, mm. But one little story, like... The way the the way we ended up almost by accident structuring Twisted Romance meant that a lot of really cool people who have very busy schedules and lots of other projects queued up, lots of their own projects, um, could find the time to take like four to six weeks to to, to draw this story. Yeah, yeah. Like um, uh, when I got the the sort of like proposal for Twisted Romance from Alex, you know, it was just, it was so exciting and so cool. And I was like right at the beginning of my tour for my pretty vampire. And so it was like, I was going to be going away for like basically every single weekend from like, you know, August through October. And I signed on right away. I was like, yeah, absolutely. I want to do this. And then Sarah Horak sent me a message like, what, are you crazy? Like, how did you just sign up for like 28 pages and you're going to be away? Like, you're not even going to be home to work on this. And I was like, wait, what, what did I do? Like, it didn't even connect with me. Like I was just so excited (laughs) about it that I wasn't even like worried about, Oh yeah, I'm just going to completely lose my mind getting this done. Um, But yeah, definitely. I definitely made like a 2018 resolution to like pay attention more. So that's going really good, but it was definitely worth it for sure. Well, we're very lucky to have gotten that as well. Yeah, so folks definitely got to pick up My Pretty Vampire from Santa Graphics, which just like came out in its own book this past summer. And I was, I mean, I would love to see some like motion comic or animated version of My Pretty Vampire at some point, just for my own wish Thank list. Thank you. 
Katie, like we need to do a music you. video for someone. Oh, God. I, would like to, I want to do everything. I basically want to do everything. Um, and Let's the cool thing now is, like, I feel I feel a lot more comfortable with doing something that's going to be a little bit more mainstream because um, the the coverage for issue one was so good, and I feel like the reception was so good. And I think something really cool about this project is that we're getting this kind of these kinds of comics in the hands of people that like just go to the comic book store every Wednesday. Like that's something that never really occurred to me. Cause like with my stuff, it's like, okay, you go to like the sort of specialty convention to get it, or you go to like, you know, the graphic novel store or whatever. Like it's just, it's a different sort of audience. So for mm-hmm. this stuff to have connected with like a regular floppy comics reader, I think is really, really cool. And so now I'm just kind of like, yeah, let me like, do something with image like let me do my own thing with image because it feels like there's an audience there that's not only receptive but really enthusiastic like that's something that blew me away about this project too is just like jumping on twitter every couple hours and just seeing like my mentions just flooded with people that were excited about it you know like i definitely have Mm -hmm. i definitely get people that are excited like with my pretty vampire and my own stuff but like i've never seen that level of engagement with comics before so i thought that was really exciting and cool well, I think one of the things that's unique about this also is that um, you, you guys, you know, like in, in especially in the work with, for, for Katie and for Alejandra, like you guys are artists who work in eroticism and you're women, right? And like so much of the uh, sort of like comics that are in the sort of mainstream American as opposed to European uh, frame for sex are like they're Made Straight by men who don't even guys. watch. Well, they don't even wa- they don't even watch good porn is the thing. Like I, you know, like there's better straight cis white guy porn out there than what these guys even seem to be looking at, which I think is about stuck at the level of I don't know, Vivid Video, 1998. It's pretty sad. <laughs> so I think that like definitely like audiences who have a higher standard, and especially audiences who are female and or queer, um, we are like really it's like a relief. You know, to see, like, because people think that, like, you know, feminist critics are, like, stuff shirts for complaining about the way sexualization is done in a lot of mainstream comics. But our problem isn't that there's sex. Our problem is that people are doing sex badly. The male gaze. The straight male gaze. exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel like mostly it's, like, I was talking to someone about this recently, and they were commenting on how when you read most erotic work from um, people who either have no idea what they're doing or just, you know, a random white guy. It's like, it's very much like you can see their point of view and everything else. And then when it comes to the sex, it's just very like cookie cutter, like porn that they watch. And it just completely mm-hmm. switches that like kind of the the way that you, they see it. And it's not even their voice anymore. And then they just go back to whatever else they were talking about. Um and it's people, I don't know, maybe they're just not getting laid enough, like, and not doing it, not having fun in their life. I don't know. Um, but I think it's, I, that's something that I've been talking a lot lately is just kind of making sure that it's not even about making porn. It's about bridging the gaps between what sex work is and what performance and sex work means and bringing that into comics and like, you know, a, a more a female point of view or just a more diverse point of view. That's a great point. 
And then I also wanted to sort of ask, like, how did you guys determine what level of explicitness made sense for the stories you were telling? Well, in my case, was... I just kind of drew it. I was just like, Alex, I'm just going to draw the pussy and everything, and you can do what you want with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we also we had some parameters for what we were going to be able to print. Am I wrong with that, Alex? Because I remember yeah, just sort of being like – no, you're Go. right. Like that. Like I was, I was trying to, um, I was trying to keep us out of an like an X. Like I was, I didn't want to have us wrapped, um, because I wanted people to be able to mm-hmm. look through it in stores. Um, so we kept to like mature but not X, um, and um, we didn't like. So you can't really show penetrative sex. Um, I like you can hint at things. Like definitely see Dick in like at least two books. Um, not all of Dick, but you can see part of Dick. Um, one of them is, is one of them is very brief, and the other one, like I kind of censor rather hilariously. The original version had like Minecraft censoring, which is really funny. It's like, there was like a story yeah. banana, over <laughs> but like it had nothing to do with the rest of the story. There's no mention of Minecraft in the rest of the story, so I just sent it around to everybody, going, "Look what I do when I stay up too late." <laughs> so yeah, I mean, but like I just told everybody to be free and like draw whatever they want. Um, and make it as erotic as I want to, and you know, but bearing in mind that I would, I would censor, like, like nicely, so it fit in graphically with the page, um, anything that would push us into X. Um, Got it. Well, that makes sense because yeah, you do need people to be able to flip through in the comics rack. Um, although I'll say from my, I haven't worked at a comic book store, but I did work at Barnes and Noble. And, like, the most mangled pieces of <laughs> printed matter in the entirety of a Barnes & Noble are going to be, like, the erotic graphic novel section. People just <laughs> destroyed destroyed them with their grubby hands. It sure, was, it was hard to like keep it. Like, the basic VHS back, back in, like, yeah. the, like back and forth, yeah. back and forth, <laughs> back and forth. Totally. I feel like I was totally. the person going into the Barnes and Noble and just like wrecking those books. But like for my for my um level of like just my sort of like baseline rule of what I'll put in my comics is I don't really get more explicit than like an Emmanuel movie because I'm just like <laughs> the Emmanuel movies are so they're so sexy but they don't need to do every single thing. You, you don't need to see everything. And I'm just like I think that's what keeps them and a, a lot of those um films that are like kind of the definition of female gaze too which is really really cool so that's always sort of my like my guiding star is the terrible should, Emmanuel uh, series i was gonna say yeah we should mm-hmm. sort of explain the Emmanuel series a little bit for like the people who aren't obsessive with retro films oh sure sure um it's basically like a a soft core um but still mainstream uh film series uh, from France from, I want to say, the late 70s um, through the mid-80s. There are some definitely, like, gnarly spinoffs of it. Um, there's actually a cannibal movie that's considered an Emmanuel movie. Uh, that's not part of my Emmanuel canon, but it's just out there. <laughs> but, I mean, if you if you want to get, um, if you want to get into some sort of classic uh, French eroticism um from the mid seventies, I would say definitely check out the first Emmanuel movie. Uh, it's actually on YouTube. I I pull it up every now oh. and then, just you know, 
just to check it out. I mean, and these are yeah. movies really that you could see at the art house. Like these were art house cinema movies that like you could see like not not like a Times Square movie, but like although you probably couldn't see them in Topeka, but like at an art house cinema in the city, you could you could see them. So they have yeah, sort of, definitely. Yeah, you could like feel kind of good about yourself. For sure, yeah. You could be like, wow, this is... It's like, you know, it's like the real-life Rochelle Rochelle, basically. Yeah, I was going to... Or like, yeah, like this, God, I want to make a Seinfeld reference, but that also would just made <laughs> me terribly. You're welcome. Um, yeah, I can't help it. Um, <laughs> so, with the... Yeah, so it's really exciting, like, you know, to see these come out, and, and um, I, I think, like, doing it in Valentine's Day is a cool concept as well. I think... I don't think there's any other Valentine's themed things on the stands that I've noticed. Well, there's Bingo Love, which comes out on Valentine's Day. Oh, that is Valentine's Day. I guess I've had that on my top of my mind for so long, I didn't think about it as a specific Valentine's Day connection, but you're right. Yeah, well, everyone listening to this should buy Bingo Love, too. Yes, they should definitely go buy Bingo Love. It's just really sweet and beautiful and the lesbian senior citizen black love story that like has not existed in a comic till now that we definitely, definitely need. Um, so shout out to that. Uh, so like, yeah, so I guess sort of like, you know, working in romance and erotica, which is interesting because like in Europe and maybe this is true of Japan, I do not know Japanese comics as much, Like in Europe, like the erotica comic genre is huge and in fact, a certain chunk of those have been imported into America. Brett was actually telling me at the comic book store he used to work at that those were some of the most sold titles, actually. But in American comics, um, the erotic genre and romance in general just hasn't really been touched as much lately. Well, that's, and, um, that's also the, a direct market issue. Um, yeah. And the fact that a lot of the people who have been moving into indie comics come from mainstream comics and their mindset is still doing like, sci-fi, superhero, horror, like, just spy, like, the sort of the, the, sort of the more, the, the, the more um, traditional, well, not even, like, the, not, cause there, there are tons of traditional comic genres, but the more stereotypically, like, 80s, 90s, gonna be, it's going to be made into a movie kind of comic miniseries thing. But, like, mm-hmm. comics used to be huge. Um, romance comics were a big thing. Um, Jack Kirby drew a ton of them. Um, Joe Simon wrote them, Stan Lee wrote them. Um, but there are tons of genres that work in Europe and in Japan that, like, haven't made it in the U.S. except by people buying manga, like sports. Like, there are amazing, amazing, amazing sports manga that you can read. Even if you know nothing about the sport, they're still incredibly compelling. Um, you, know, uh, the, the, like, you know, the entire shoujo manga scene. I mean, Mars blew my mind when I read it like 15 years ago. Um, you know, you can have comics about emotional arcs. Like, other countries do this really well. And it's not that Americans are different and don't want it. It's just that our very antiquated um, distribution system that's been in place for the past 30 years um, that took comics off newsstands and into specialty stores means that um, store owners frequently don't, like, there's no place for these other genres. They don't know what to do with them. A lot of store owners really try really hard, and I think stores are changing and becoming so much better than they used to be. Um, But still, you you get store owners that are just like, well, I don't understand this comic. Like, it's not, it's not, 
got any violence in it. And I'm like, yes, it does. It's just all emotional. Um, and they don't understand that. So, so mm-hmm. you know, but I think the romance readers, like, you know, they go to ebooks, they go to things like Karina, which is Harlequin's ebook. And, like, romance readers buy, like, a book a week. They are great readers. They're, they're like the horror audience. They love new stuff. They seek it out. They tell each other about it. Like, that's the audience you want. Um, like, they're not tied to old properties. They don't care about, like, legacy or, you know, there's no ongoing character franchises that, that really matter to them. Maybe a little bit in horror, but not in romance. You know, and they go to fanfic. Mm. And so they're, they're massive, massive readerships. They've just gone away from comics because comics for a long time didn't provide them with anything because comics for a long mm-hmm. time didn't care about women in America. Yeah. Or yeah. Que- and or queer people and or brown people. Like, it just, comics were like, bye, we're going to do a thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we're sort of and in we, the throes we, of yeah. kind of combating that with, like, and people always keep telling us to make this stuff ourselves. It's always just like, you know, you get no support, but like if you really want it, you can make it. And I think we're we're in the middle of trying to do all of and that. And then we right make now. it, and they're like, "What is this queer bullshit?" It's, <laughs> no, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. Well, you're destroying I mean, comics. Yeah. yeah, then they tell us we're destroying comics. They told us <laughs> we didn't like to make our own, and we made our own. And now they're like, "You're destroying comics and like ruining everything." And I'm like, "Wait, I yeah. can't win." Except we're totally winning because this is a big, this is a big, this is the future. Like, that's the thing, right? Like, there's no reason why these other genres can't be a bigger part of the comics, you know, world. Um, Which is actually thought was interesting about. If if I make stuff, I'm not taking from you. It's not a zero-sum game. Like, like we're just getting more readers into it. It's okay. But also, like, this is going to be huge in trade, right? Because, like, the classic romance reader you know like they're not going to be going to their store on a wednesday probably right but like are you guys no. do you think you'll, you'll be able to sort of do some outreach when the trade comes out to attract like the romance audiences i, mean, I hope so um image has been amazing with pr like all of the pr we've gotten is, is been, like image like our images pr and marketing team are really second to none um and People, like, don't give them enough credit because there are all these myths about image and what happens at image and when you publish an image. And they're like, people are like, they don't help you. Like, oh, my God, let me tell you how much they help you. Like, they, 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 they sub-edit your book. They tell you when you fuck up your designs. They tell you when you, like, like do your pre-press wrong. And very gently and sweetly, they talk you through it. And, like, they do amazing PR for you. Um, and they ship your books to conventions so you don't have to carry. Um, and they sell you your books really cheap. Like, it's, it's so good. And, and they give you... They give you your FOC numbers. Like, no other comics publisher tells me how many book, uh, my books have been ordered, like, within a week of the FOC closing. So I know exactly how many, like, and I, can, and I know how many reorders I've got. I know moment to moment how much I'm selling. And I have never had that from another publisher. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it comes out in some of my royalty statements from my other publishers. Others, I haven't, haven't the faintest. I couldn't tell you how much books sold. I'd have to look at, you know, the... the the you in terms comic of scan numbers. Um, so yeah, so yeah. I mean, image are really responsible. So the trade comes out in September, so people probably shouldn't trade wait unless they want to wait a really long time. Um, yeah, that's actually quite a while. slightly more expensive than buying the four issues. But the trade will be out for basically New York Comic Con. And, and of course, these are clip issues, so you get the two covers when you get the individual comic. 
and like have that whole fun experience with that. Well, well. I just wanted to do something to have the backup creators have like a big statement too. So like for them to do a cover was really important to me because, um, you know, I didn't want them like, like even though like I didn't want them like an afterthought, I wanted them to be stars in their own right because they really like all of them really are. Um, and so they were all really nice and drew me a back cover. Because uh, yeah, you can do that at Image. You can put whatever you want on the back. Yeah, and I appreciate having two covers. That's a lot of fun. Much more interesting than having some random ads for action figures on the back, at least to me. Um, have you guys gotten any sort of responses that were, like, different than what you thought they would be? Like, people who really related to it who were maybe not what you expected or like people who had some analysis of it where you were like, oh, wow, no, that's a good point. Any kind of surprises at all? Uh, you know, it's, it's just been so – I'm sorry? Go ahead, go ahead. It, it's just been so um, positive, and th- I think that was surprising to me because I was – I didn't – I really had no expectations going into it, and I was just sort of like there might just kind of be like some ambivalence because it just doesn't look like anything, and maybe people won't reach for that. Um, but, no, I, I think it's been so positive, and that was really – surprising to me like I said that level of engagement was there and I think people were really excited to get something different on the shelves so yeah I I was really pleasantly surprised by that I'm really really happy about it and the rest yeah. of the issues aren't out yet but you know people have been really supportive and really interested and you know I mean every so often there's someone who's like well, what is this um but like you just learn to filter that out as a as a mm-hmm. professional person in the arts because it just it does you no good to to worry about it, and so often it's about them. It's not about you. It's about their perceptions and their biases and their internalized thoughts about what a story should be. Um, but I also think that know. once this week's issue is out, you'll probably have someone say, "Oh my gosh, I haven't seen a character who looks like me," you know, in a comic and in the store before. That's what I really want to happen. Is, you people. What I really want to happen is somebody. Uh, coming up and being like, oh my god, that totally happened to me. I met my favorite movie star and we were in a whirlwind romance and you <laughs> capture that so perfectly. <laughs> and then Possible. I want to dish a lot. Yeah. Yes, definitely um, dish. But I've definitely I've definitely seen people um really excited about the um book even based on the cover, just like um because Twinkle looked like them, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, uh, I'd love to make sure our listeners know uh, what other projects you guys have on the horizon, and I kind of know, but um, folks want to do a quick round of what other dependent work you guys have coming up. Do you want to start, Tron? Uh, Sure, yes. Um, I've got a tarot deck coming out eventually. I'm working on final. Well, I've got two, so I've got a really cutesy little one, and then I've got, like, a real one that I've been working on for almost three years. So that'll be wrapping up this year. So that'll be exciting. Um, I'm mostly doing um, independent comics for Patreon right now. Um, and uh, let's see. Oh, I recently had that erotic coloring book come out through Oni Press, Fonz and Flora. Um, and I also have a comic in the second volume of the of the Mirror Mirror anthology. It's, um, it's an erotic story based on the fairy tale of the Lindworm and the Prince. Yeah. So that's 
I love fun. that one, by the way. We had the uh, we had um, Julia and Sean from from who did the Mirror Mirror anthology on the show a number of months ago, and yeah, you're, I I really loved your comic in that. It was, oh, thank like, you so much. Yeah. Entron's going to yeah. be at ECCC, so like if you're at Emerald City Comic Con, go buy prints off him, and you can also buy That's a right. of his just romances. I do indeed have a, a drawing that he did of the Scarlet Witch up in my office right now. Alejandra, oh what is Alejandra, where can folks find you and what are you up to? Um, I usually am most active on Twitter at Ethelope because um, I'm a narcissist. Um, I'm also working on my next comic, which is all, which is just kind of um, all like written and drawn by me. Um, and it's kind of based on the Big Brother magazine from the 90s, kind of, sort of, but not really, but kind of a little bit, um, <laughs> which is a trashy skate mag for, like, uh, grungy, gross people. Uh, I'm also toying with the idea of an autobiocomic about uh, my sex work days, which I think I will probably start by the end of this year. So that would be really uh, exciting. And oh, I'm cool. going to do a yeah, and I'm going to do a couple um, small zines uh, for uh, just kind of conventions and stuff for this year, but I might put them up online at some point. Well, I really liked cool. that one pager you did around watching the Versace uh, murder um, docu, not documentary, like the, the, the recent like TV show about it. I thought that was really cool. Oh, like, thank you. Yeah. yeah. But I love what you see what else you're working on. And yeah, like I don't think I haven't seen like a visual like a comic like memoir of someone from doing sex work before. There's like a ton of books, but I don't know that anybody's done a a comic thing yet that I'm aware of. Michelle so, T uh, did a the, book with illustrations. With illustrations, yeah. Yeah, and there's yeah, a McCubbin did. In April there's My parents a comic. Found it, like started quizzing me about whether I was gay. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the only other thing that's kind of similar that I can think of is um, from Image, and I think April, it's uh, The Pervert is coming out, and that one's uh, the writer, Michelle Perez, took a lot of inspiration from her days as a sex worker, but it's not specifically a, a memoir. It's just kind of like a oh, work okay. of fiction based on her experiences, but that's kind of the only Got it. other thing I can think of, yeah. Cool. Oh, good to know. Thank you. Well, these are all exciting things that, like, we definitely could use more of in comics. A lot of people try to talk for people and don't actually know what the fuck they're talking about. So having create art created by people, like, who are from those experiences will be very valuable. Um, I also have really and, hilarious stories from that time, so should be pretty oh, funny. I believe it. Well, I just – this is, like, such a random aside, but when you guys put out that um, – that one pager in Love is Love and in it one of the characters goes to bed without taking off um, the uh, nightclub makeup. I love that you tweeted an editorial comment of, as a professional makeup artist, I do not recommend <laughs> you going to bed without I taking mean, off I your makeup. I was a professional makeup artist, so I have to, like, I had to keep my reputation on check, you know? I had to, like, rep for the girls. Exactly. Yeah. So that's another good reason for people to follow you also is for makeup looks. And um, and Katie Skelly, I wish I could go to your screening next week, but it's like two hours oh. away. I'm so upset. I get it. 
No, I totally get it. Um, but yeah, next week, uh, next Tuesday at 10 p.m. at Alamo Draft House up in Yonkers, I'm going to be with um, Kristen Soleil uh, introducing Belladonna of Sadness, which is a film that is near and dear to my heart. I wrote a big essay about it uh, a couple years ago for her site, Sluttist. Um, so that's going to be really fun. Uh, this year, I am uh, working on a compilation of the erotic work that I did. Um, that's going to be coming out from Fanographics later this year. Um, so that's going to be really cool. That should probably be out around the same time as um, the Twisted Romance uh, trade. So that should be pretty cool. Uh, I have I'm kind of like moving into a new phase of my career, which is cool, which is getting work in gallery shows. Um, so later hmm. this year, I'm going to have a show, solo show in Austin, Texas. And then early next year, I'm going to have another solo show in um, Belfast, uh, Northern Ireland. So that'll be really cool. Oh, cool. And I am working on a new script right now, um, which is True Crime, which is the first time that I've ever done that um it's based on a uh murder in france in the 30s and so i'm working that out right now and yeah i'm just kind of like i'm like in between things but not really (laughs) so uh it'll be really cool because i think a lot of the work that i'm doing this year is about going back and looking out of all the work that i've done so far like getting pages together for exhibition and um, new sort of anthologies and things like that. And I keep forgetting that, like, oh, yeah, I, I've done a lot of stuff. So now is the time to sort of, like, appreciate that and look back on it before I launch, like, headfirst into a new project. So 2018, pretty cool. And I'm definitely going to pay more attention this year. It's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And Alex, Thank you. you have so much work going on. What can you tell us about in advance? God, I, yeah, I just can't keep track of it. Um, uh, I mean, right now I've got a Judge Dredd story running in the magazine, um, which is a lot of fun. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm current status of like, this is why I don't do that much work for hire because I'm a research obsessive and I feel I have to research the character, like read everything about the character to like get it right. So I'm currently reading like hundreds and hundreds of pages of Rogue Trooper so I can do my Rogue Trooper piece for the um, 2000 AD women's issue in August. Um, uh, I've, out in July, I've got a Cuban crime noir um, called Bad Girls coming out from Gallery 13, which is part of Simon & Schuster, with Victor Santos. It's going to be a lovely hardback. I want it so bad. <coughs> it's historical fiction centering women being bad. It's like... And the art style is great. Well, yeah, on, on, on um, December 31st, 1958 in one of the great the great mob casinos in Havana, and um, December uh, 31st, 1958 was the night Batista fled, and Castro like Cuba became Castro's. Um, so it was this amazing um, end of an era, beginning of a new era, um, and I'm not writing the story of the Cuban Revolution because it's not my story to tell, but I am writing the story of these these. Um, three women and one other woman who's kind of doing something else. Um, these three women who all like are running from their own demons um, and basically end up with about $6 million in stolen mob money um, that, that was headed to Batista before he left um, and use it to try to leave Cuba. Um, so it's about these women and the chaos and also how expats like don't understand the country they're in even if they've lived there for a really long time, they live in this very surface level. So there's this one girl, um, Taffy, no, sorry, Taffy, not Taffy, um, 
uh, Kitty. Um, and she's like an 18-year-old wannabe actress who wants to bang Marlon Brando. And she spends the entire night while all of this like crazy shit is going down trying to get to this party that's supposed to be the really cool New Year's Eve party. And like her, like the Cuban Revolution is mostly shown through her eyes and her eyes are incredibly ignorant. So it's kind of fun just having this really like superficial dippy white girl with bad priorities like watching history happen and just not understanding it and not caring because she has a party to go to and she's going to meet Marlon Brando if it kills her. <coughs> oh my gosh. I'm so excited for that one. Sorry, I and it's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's historical period. I'm particularly interested in as well. So awesome. Uh, well, I want to thank you all for joining me. Um, and um, if you want to just give a quick shout out on where we can find you online, Trungles, I know you have a hip and happening Patreon and a Twitter account. Let us know where to find that. Yeah, so I'm at Trungles, T-R-U-N-G-L-E-S, at both Twitter and Instagram, and I'm um, on Patreon at patreon.com slash T-R-U-N-G-L-E-S. And Alejandra? Oh, uh, my Twitter is at Ethelope. It is E-F-F-A-L-O-P-E. And my Instagram handle is Hellwoods, kind of like L Woods with an H at the beginning, so H-E-L-L-E-W-O-O-D-S. Um, and, yeah, that's pretty much where I spend all my time. <laughs> awesome. Katie, where do we find you uh, on the internet? Excuse me. I am on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at nurse underscore nurse, which was the name of my first book. And I'm on Instagram. Uh, my name on there is my last name three times, Skelly, Skelly, Skelly. It's a great last name. And Alex, Thank you. what's the place we should be pointing you to? Um, I'm Alex DeCampi everywhere, like Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Um, A-L-E-X-D-E-C-A-M-D-I. And if any of you don't get this and don't write it down, um, all of our social media handles are in credits of our Twisted Romance issues. So if you buy the issues, you can find us on the Internet. Yes, it was very savvy indeed. And for our listeners, um, just one more time reminding everyone, next week on Monday, uh, I'm, I'm working with a number of racial justice organizations to host an online convening of fans, activists, and racial justice organizations to plot and plan how we're going to use the Black Panther movie as an opportunity to elevate work that's being done in the real world for social justice around racial justice and environmental justice, highlight black creators, and um, really shape the narrative coming out of the movie. And uh, I would love to have folks from graphic policy audience get involved. If you think this is of interest to you, whether you're an activist or an organizer or a fan artist, you can get more information at bit.ly fan activist con, con with a C, like a convention of fan activists. Um, that's online, and we will be doing this online on Monday, which also means we will not have a podcast on Monday. We will be back on Wednesday with our Black Panther coverage. We have two really exciting guests coming, Clarkisha Kent and... Charles Pulliam Moore will be joining us to talk about Black Panther. I am so excited. And I love him. That, I love we'll Charles have... so much. Oh, my God. I love him so much. I'm so excited for my guests. We haven't had Porkisha on yet. We have had um, Charles on, and they're amazing. And then um, the week after that, I'll have a, folk, a number of folks from racial justice organizations talking about how their organization is using Black Panther 
um, to help change the world. I mean, Black Panther is changing the world on its own, but they're also going to use it as well as advocacy groups. And um, we are Graphic Policy Radio. If you came into this show late and want to hear it from the beginning, we are also we are on iTunes as Graphic Policy. We'll be on iTunes in just a couple hours. Um, this podcast will also be on SoundCloud and Stitcher, everywhere that you get your podcasts. We will be there. And um, you can follow Graphic Policy on, on our website for the best comics news, views, reports, and opinions all the time. And on Twitter at Graphic Policy. And, of course, I am on Twitter all the goddamn time as Ilana underscore Brooklyn. That's Ilana underscore Brooklyn. Ilana, E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn, like where I'm at. Thank you all for joining us. And uh, as Brett would say, keep it geeky. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks.